It really is a beautiful term, though it's found only three times in the New Testament. The term about which I speak, it's the term Christian. This morning I'd like to talk with you about why I'm glad to be a Christian and why you should be glad that you can be a Christian too. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, that's the first of the three instances when the word Christian is found. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Look at Acts 26, 28. Acts 26 and verse 28. A ruler by the name of Herod Agrippa says to Paul, Almost, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. From Acts eleven twenty six to Acts 26, 28. And then the passage just read for us in the scripture reading, 1 Peter 4, verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian... Let them not be ashamed, but let them glorify God in this behalf. It's a misunderstood term, Christian. But the term literally means one who belongs to Christ. That I-A-N ending along with the stem, the word, Christ. One who belongs to the King. One who belongs to the Messiah. And I hope that you'll look at it this way. When one says that they are a Christian, they are saying that they have been saved by Christ, that they belong to Christ, and that they follow Christ. They're saved by Christ, they belong to Christ, bought and paid for, if you will, and that they follow Christ. Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and look at verses 10 through 13. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13. And of course, in 1 and 2 Corinthians, we see a congregation riddled with problems, with difficulties. In some ways, not unlike many churches today. And what Paul says about unity so important in verse 10. That you be of the same mind and judgment and that there be no divisions among you. Well, at Corinth, there were divisions. There were various personality cults, if you will. And what I'd like for you to notice is that some at Corinth were doing these things. Some were saying, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I'm of Peter. I am a Paul follower. I am a Peter follower. I am an Apollos follower. 
And what Paul does when he hears this news, it's so disturbing to him. And he asks a series of questions. Is Christ divided? Well, of course not. Paul and Apollos and, and Peter, they are, they're servants of the Lord, not the Savior. And then he asks a second question in 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13. Were you baptized into Paul prior to that? Were you baptized into Paul? He says, was Paul crucified for you? Very interesting. Jesus said, I have a baptism to be baptized with, Luke 12, 50. There was a suffering, a cup of immersion and overwhelming that he was going to have to deal with. And he's speaking of his baptism and he's referring really to the crucifixion. That he would go to the cross for our sins. Who was crucified for you? Jesus. He's the one who's the Savior. He's the one to whom you belong. He is the one that you should follow. And then he says, were you baptized into the name of Paul? Because Christ went through the baptism of the cross for us, we should submit to believers' baptism out of love for him. That's really the message of 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13. Because he went through the baptism of the crucifixion for us, we ought to respond to him in baptism so our sins can be washed away. I'm so glad to be a Christian. I'm so glad to be a Christian because the, the Word of God makes very clear that salvation and God's plan for saving us consists of God's part and man's response. What God has done and how we should respond to God and what He's done. Take a moment, if you would, and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. And when we think about what God has done, how marvelous it is that God has taken the initiative. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace. You might want to mark that. Have you been saved through faith? You might want to mark that. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then verse 10, we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus 
that we should do good works. And there is a connection there. It is by God's grace that we're saved through faith that responds to Him with loving action. You know, without God's grace, we'd be hopeless. Amen? Without God's grace being extended... No one could really be counted righteous. No one could become a Christian. Without God's grace, we're lost. Without God's grace, we're in sin. Romans 3 and verse 10. And grace is seen in the gracious provision of Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. That Jesus, by the grace of God, tasted of death for every man, for every person. That's Hebrews 2 and verse 9. So none of us could ever, ever do enough good deeds and perform enough righteous acts where we could any time say to God, I've got it from here, Lord. We desperately stand in need of God's grace. His undeserved favor, mercy, and kindness. While we were yet sinners. Romans 5 verses 8 and 9. One who's saved by Christ, who belongs to Christ, and who follows Christ. That's, that's what a Christian is. Really. But having thought a little bit about God and His grace... There is man's response to God's grace. And in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it involves faith. And being his workmanship. And responding to God's grace through faith in our lives in a way that reflects that he saved us. That he bought us. And that we are his followers. At the beginning of the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1 and verses 5 and 6, as well as at the conclusion of Romans, Romans 16, 25 and 26, like great columns at the beginning and the end of the book, like big bookends, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, speaks of the obedience of faith. To respond to God's grace out of humble faith. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5 and verse 6. 
in Galatians 5 and verse 6, and I'd like to look at an expression that's mentioned in that passage. Galatians 5, verse 6. What happens in this passage is this. Paul speaks of faith acting. The faith that avails, the faith that really responds truly to God's grace, is a faith that works through love. Mark that. The faith that responds properly to grace is the faith that works through love. It seems to me that many in the world either want to so emphasize God's part in saving that they don't properly emphasize man and his humble response. While it's possible that some so emphasize man and his response to God that they've lost sight of the gracious provision of God through Jesus. Now let's bring things home. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Look at verse 12. Acts 8 and verse 12. Because this passage really brings things together very well concerning the grace of God shown, displayed through Jesus and His going to the cross for us, paying a price so that our sins could be washed away. And it also deals beautifully with man's response to what God has done in Jesus. Now when they believed, Philip's words concerning the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. When one believes the good news, when one believes in the saving name of Jesus, They'll be baptized. And there's not a prolonged time of waiting. That's not what occurs in Acts 8. When the Samaritans believed, they believed the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. And the name of Jesus. Then they were also baptized into the name of Jesus. And became part of the kingdom of God. Acts 2 and verse 38. I am so glad to be a Christian. Because at some point virtually every day. These well known song lyrics go through my mind. Oh the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf God did span at Calvary. We must properly emphasize what God has done so people can be saved in a word, grace. But we must also properly teach and observe 
and respect what Scripture has to say about the response of human beings to the grace of God in Jesus. The word is faith. And how faith saves at the point of baptism. At the point of baptism. Let me bring some things kind of out in summary form. In thinking about salvation, the implication is that we were lost. That we were in sin. And that something had to be done about our lostness and our sin. And we were not qualified to do it. After we've done all that we can do, we are still unprofitable servants. Luke 17, 10. God extended grace, saving grace, through Christ. God extended grace, saving grace, through Christ. We have access into grace wherein we stand through faith. Romans 5, 1 and 2. And yet at the same time, in speaking of God's grace, the Bible has no problem with talking about man's faith and man's humble response in obedience to God's will. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38 It's interesting that just as the term Christians found three times, and we ought to think about it and what it really means to be saved by Christ to belong to Christ, and to follow Christ. The Bible speaks about the question, what must I do to be saved? Maybe you're already there. Turn to Acts 2. I just mentioned it. Acts 2, 36-38. The people on the day of Pentecost, when Peter and the apostles were preaching, stopped Peter's sermon. Notice verse 36, let all the house of Israel know assuredly God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus that you crucified. When the people heard this, their hearts were touched. They believed the message. And they said, what shall we do? And Peter and the apostles said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. I say to you, a person who does what they did to become Christians, believe, repent, and are baptized, responding to what God has done in Jesus, that person's a Christian. Turn to Acts chapter 9. The Bible doesn't know anything about believing and then months later being baptized. 
Acts 9 gives us the longest period of time revealed in the New Testament for someone who waited to be baptized, Saul of Tarsus. He says in Acts 9, 4 through 6, Who are you, Lord, and what will you have me to do? He's told by the Lord, You go to the city, and it will be told you what you should do. By this passage, Acts 9, 4 through 6, you would do well to jot down Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. Ananias meets with Paul. Paul is someone who believes in Jesus. There's sorrow in his heart over sin. And he has been waiting for several days. Note the context. For Ananias to tell him what he has to do in responding to the Lord. And Acts twenty two sixteen says, Why do you wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. It seems to me that We're on awfully solid ground if we're saved by Christ and belong to Christ and follow Christ in the same way the Apostle Paul, Saul, did. Turn to Acts 16. In Acts 16, note verse 30. Acts 16, verse 30. The question is asked by a jailer in the midst of an earthquake that had just occurred. What must I do to be saved? Because Paul had said to him, do yourself no harm. All of the prisoners are here and are accounted for. He thought he was as good as dead. And he'd been hearing them sing songs to the Lord and stuff. The jailer and his family are told, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your house. Verse 31. But notice, but notice, Three times the question's basically asked and asked, what should we do to be saved? The people on the day of Pentecost were told to repent and be baptized. They had already believed that they were guilty of crucifying God's Son. Peter's preaching had taken them to that point. Paul Paul believed in Jesus. After all, he had seen something of the resurrected Lord. In a vision. He turned from his sins because he realized that he had been fighting against God's way even though he was sincere and religious. He's told to be baptized. They are at different places. Spiritually, the people on the day of Pentecost repent and be baptized. Saul, Paul, be baptized. And then... The jailer at Philippi and his family believe, and keep reading through verse 34, 
having believed, the jailer and his house were baptized. Now, for people that think that baptism is really not all that important, but maybe just a symbol, why is it a specific part of the answer given every time the question, what must I do to be saved, is asked? Can I get an amen for that? So in a world that tends to say baptism's good, let's consider baptism as given in Scripture and taught by Scripture. It is at that point that our faith saves us in what God has graciously provided in Jesus. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, at the point of baptism, there is a death, a death to sin. There is a burial of the old man and sin. And there is a resurrection to walk in newness of life. I am so glad to be a Christian because God has a great plan of salvation. To be a Christian means we are saved by Christ, that we belong to Christ, and that we follow Jesus. We long to do that. Now, all that was introduction. Now I'm ready to tell you, my wife just looked like this and her eyes went crossed. But here's the good news. I can give you these really quick. Let me give you three reasons why I'm so glad to be a Christian. Number one, being a Christian makes life worthwhile. Being a Christian makes life worthwhile. Life can often be difficult and challenging. Being a Christian makes life worthwhile. Because we have a relationship with God. For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Philippians 1, 21. It makes life worthwhile. Jesus came to give life and to give it more abundantly. John 10 and verse 10. Being a Christian makes life worthwhile. Sometimes we sing an old hymn. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore by and by. Talking about heaven, and it's a beautiful song, but it's not just the sweet by and by where we'll have abundant life. We can have and begin a sense of abundant living right now in the sweet here and now. It makes living worthwhile here. We have a relationship with God We have purpose and meaning and perspective in our lives because we have come to God. And when we think about being saved by Jesus, belonging to Jesus, and following Jesus, here in this world, Christians can have the attitude of Jesus no matter what happens. Have this mind in you which was also in Christ.
The mind of Christ should not have left Christian's practice in 2020. It should not leave a child of God's heart in 2021. You see, I'm glad to be a Christian because it makes living worthwhile. Secondly, I'm glad to be a Christian because we can pray with confidence. I'm glad to be a Christian because we can pray with confidence. We go to the throne of grace, Hebrews 4.16, and there we find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4.16, again on that reference. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and His ears are attentive to their cries. 1 Peter 3.12 We can ask, seek, and knock and the Father and His doors are open to us in prayer. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Prayer. Look at 1 John 5, 14 and 15. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have. That if we ask anything in His name, He hears us. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, that is one of the greatest promises anywhere in the Bible. This is the confidence that we have. If we ask anything in His name, He hears. Some people have a mighty small God. I am so glad to be a Christian because it makes living worthwhile and it makes prayer that much more precious. The small view of God I meant to say is this. You know, a lot of people think God sees all the bad things we do. He sees us when we curse or when we're ugly or full of pride. And undeniably, God sees the ugly and the bad in us. But don't you also imagine that God knows every single time that we have ever gone to Him in our lifetimes to pray? Don't you imagine that He does? Don't you imagine that God knows that man that's born of woman is but a few days and full of trouble? Job 14.1 Your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things. He delights for us to talk to Him in prayer. And prayer is grasping the willingness of of God to give good things to His children. I'm so glad I'm a Christian because I can think of prayer that way. And we all can in Christ. Third, 
I'm so glad that I'm a Christian because I can face death with assurance. I'm so glad I'm a Christian because I can face death with assurance and so can you. This past Wednesday night and as well as in the church bulletin, we honored our 90-somethings. We have nine precious brothers and sisters that are all past 90. All of them would realize that they have seen a whole lot more through their rearview mirror than they're going to be seeing ahead. Christians can face death with assurance because they have made adequate preparation and they have trusted in Christ and His sacrifice. There are appointments we all must keep. It is appointed to a man once to die and after that the judgment. Hebrews 9.27 Living here can be hard. But our home is elsewhere. Our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3.20 and 21. We can face death with confidence. And here's why. Jesus not only died for our sins, He arose. He's at the right hand of God even now interceding for Christians. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25 And think of this with me. We know we may not get out of this world alive unless the Lord returns in our lifetimes. If he doesn't, then we all die. But there is a sense of encouragement and comfort and assurance that the children of God can have that no one outside of Christ can even begin to fathom. Turn, if you will, to Acts 7. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen has preached a sermon... He has basically taken the Jews through a history of God and His dealings with them as a nation. And as the sermon comes to a high point, he talks about how they were resisting God's Spirit, Acts 7, 51 through 54. And how they needed to respond to the will of God and the grace given in Jesus. And the sermon looks remarkably like that of Peter's sermon in Acts 2. In Acts 2, 3,000 were baptized. In Acts 7, they killed the speaker. But that's not how things end. They take rocks and they throw them at Stephen, pounding his body with blow after blow until he dies. 
but what Stephen saw just before he died was Jesus standing Hey, Devin, the one that saved you, the one to whom you belong, the one that you follow, take heart, he can get you home. Just as he stood to receive Stephen, we have marvelous assurance that when the time comes that we leave this world and we have our fears, He'll take us by the hand and get us home. Because He's not just the Lord that died. He's the Lord that arose. And death is not final. It is a transition to something that we have been waiting for and longing for for a long time. I'm so glad to be a Christian because God has a very clear plan for saving man. I'm so glad to be a Christian because it makes living here worthwhile. I'm glad to be a Christian because of the greatness of of the confidence we can have in prayer. I am grateful to be a Christian because the one that walked with us every step of life's journey will walk with us into eternity. Let us stand and sing.